that the words I speak, the words we hear, be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. A famous line from a favourite psalm. It is the opening for the 23rd psalm, a psalm that many of us know gets used in lots of places. And a psalm that some would argue helps establish a tradition within scripture that keeps being reinterpreted throughout scripture, including by the gospel writers who deliberately use it to make sense of who Jesus is. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The life of a Middle Eastern shepherd was tough and dangerous. Leading the sheep, as this picture shows, not the New Zealand way of going behind the sheepdogs, chasing them around the place, but walking in front of them, each with their own name, and leading the sheep to find good pasture and still water. They didn't like running water. I guess they still don't. Protecting the sheep from thieves and predators, both human and animal. Sleeping at night with them when they were away from home. And scrambling to find them when one gets lost. High risk, low honour, dangerous. Not romantic at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It was also an image applied to rulers to set out what might be expected of them. They were shepherds for their people, whose role was to protect and to provide. But few were that good at it. Too many got lost in their own self-importance, wealth and honour. To be called a bad shepherd as many were, was a severe critique. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In contrast, this psalm names God as the true shepherd. All others are held up against the standards of the shepherding set by God. So what do we see in that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We belong to the, sheep, to the shepherd, and the shepherd is committed to us. With astounding generosity, the shepherd will provide all we might need, which removes the need for us to want more. And the shepherd strives to offer us life. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Let's stop and sit with that image for a moment. What does it say to you and what is happening in your life at the moment?
This image from the 23rd Psalm is used and reinterpreted by several biblical authors to meet the needs of their time. For example, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Zechariah. And that image is used and reinterpreted by the Gospel writers, as I said, to make sense of who Jesus was. So on this Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Easter, every year we have Good Shepherd Sunday. and We always have the 23rd Psalm. And we always hear a part of John 10. So this is the last section of John 10, and next year we'll go back to the beginning. And each fourth Sunday we take some time to reflect on Jesus, the Good Shepherd. As we read these words and the words of Revelation, we need to remember that John's Gospel is written for a persecuted community. It is thought that much like uh, much that like much of the early church, it was largely made up of marginalized people who had found a place to belong in those first Christian communities. But their claims were dangerous. To claim Jesus as the Son of God angered the Jews who saw that as blasphemy, as did the claim of Messiahship. And for the Romans, it was seen as offensive and treasonous because the true Son of God was Caesar, who amongst his titles was Prince of Peace and Son of God. So worshipping this crucified and dead terrorist or insurgent from Palestine in his place was deeply insulting and insulting to the Roman way of life. So John's community was seen as outsiders and the rest of that society were actively trying to assimilate them back into mainstream Roman and Jewish life. And John's community was actively resisting being assimilated. The Jews among them were actively resisting being assimilated back into mainstream Jewish identity. And we can see both from the book of Revelation that he read and from the letters of John that there were a lot of divisions within this community and many found all of this too hard and left. So out of this experience, John writes his gospel to offer hope and life to the struggling community to provide an anchor to their identity so that they don't drift back, to help them resist the pressure to drift back to who they were before. And to this community, John offers this story. Jesus is at the temple for the Festival of Lights, or dedication, or Hanukkah, which, if you're on the internet, you would have seen a whole lot of happy Hanukkah things around Christmas last year. So Hanukkah is around about Christmas. And it celebrates the rededication of the temple after the defilement by the Syrian Greeks in about 170 BCE. So the Syrian Greeks were trying to assimilate Judaism into Hellenistic society. And to do that, they were trying to get rid of uh, the temple and, how, and this notion of worshipping one God and getting Jews to worship the true gods and uh, we're trying to stop um, can't think of the word uh, anything that made people Jewish 
So they were trying to stamp that out. They were trying to say, uh, to live in this world, you need to be Greek, like us. Uh, which sounds horrible until you think about what the British have done around the world for over the last several hundred years. Exactly the same thing. And there are still people in this country who still think Māori should just be like us. This was a celebration of the surprising defeat by, of these oppressive Syrian Greeks by the Maccabees and, uh, and the re-establishment of Jewish identity, of a Jewish nationhood and the temple. And the Festival of Lights is about the fact that there was no oil in the temple when they went to light the oil lamps, uh, but they lit them anyway and they had only a little bit of oil and it took seven days for somebody to go and buy oil and bring it back and the temple oil lamps stayed lit for the seven days hence for seven days on the menorah which is lit during this time so uh, it is a it's a great family festival within judaism still today so here we have jesus in the temple talking to the Judean leadership. And as representatives of the current ruling class, they want to know if Jesus thinks he's the Messiah. Because if he does, they can get rid of him. And they want to be rid of him. They've had enough. He needs to be gone. And John tells us it is winter. I'm not sure why, but it seemed an important point. But Jesus only answers by leaning into the good tradition, tradition, good shepherd tradition. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. When we look at what Jesus does and says, he is saying we see God the good shepherd at work. And I wonder, as we read that, whether, because of that tradition, whether it was also a veiled criticism of the Judean leadership's leadership, which wouldn't have gone down well either. Jesus was living God's commitment to all. Jesus was acting with the same astounding generosity that we read about in the 23rd Psalm, and providing all that people might need which removed the need for them to want for more, and was striving to offer life and to free them from, and us, from all that traps us, all that ensnares us, all that enslaves us. And he was inviting them and us to know that we belong to the shepherd, that we all belong, especially to those pushed to the margin and declared less than, they and we all belong to God, and God is our shepherd. We belong to God, and that belonging is at the heart of everything. One of the commentators I read, Elizabeth Johnson, says, The Good Shepherd tells us that everything depends on belonging to Him. Never does our status before God depend on how we feel, on having the right experience, on being free of doubt, or on what we accomplish. It depends on one thing only, that we are known by the shepherd. My sheep will hear my voice, 
I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So what did that mean for those disciples listening to Jesus in the temple? And what did that mean for those in John's community resisting persecution and assimilation? And what does it mean for us today? There are some big and important themes of all of this. Themes of connection and belonging, of trust and hope. And it would be easy to stop there, and I think often we do stop there, resting in the sense of God being our Good Shepherd. But there is more to this thing. Last week we heard Peter being invited, called, to carry on the work of the Good Shepherd. Three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so too we are invited, called, to carry on this work. And today we are offered a story of Tabitha Dorcas. A story that tells us what that might look like. It's an astounding story. First reason it's astounding is we know her name. How often in the Bible do we get told the name of woman? Not very often. So the fact we are told her name is significant. And we are told her name in Greek and Aramaic, which means somehow she straddles that cultural divide, as does Paul. But not many others did, but she did. And we are told that she was a disciple. And there are some commentators that say she didn't hold leadership positions, yada, yada, yada. And I look at that and I go, well, there's nothing in there that says she did hold a leadership position, but there's also nothing in there that says she didn't. They're just making some assumptions. So, so we know her name, and she's named a disciple. And it would appear that she was a wealthy woman, and she used that wealth to gather a community of widows. Widows in that world were in a perilous position. Not only were they suffering the loss of their husbands, but they were also suffering the loss of their place in the community and their financial security, all of which depended on having a husband. Widows were marginalised by the wider community. They were pushed to the edge. So through... Dorcas Tabitha's ministry, at a very basic level, she met their needs for clothing. And they showed Peter what she had provided them. But at a much deeper level, she gave them somewhere to belong, somewhere that gave them value and worth. And in all of that, they were given a very tangible experience of belonging to God. She was their good shepherd. And we still remember and honour her today. Another theme in all of this is listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Last week we heard how Peter was eventually able to hear Jesus and what he was saying and to let go of a sense of being a betrayer and a failure. This week, through her ministry, 
Tabitha, Dorcas, is able to help those she gathers to stop listening to the many voices that told them that they did not belong anymore and that they had no place and no value. She helped them hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and to know they belonged. So I wonder what are the voices at work today that tell us and others that we don't belong and that we are of no value. And I wonder how we take the time to hear and respond to the Good Shepherd. And in what ways do we join Tabitha Dorcas living in ways that others might know they belong so that they can hear and see God, the Good Shepherd, at work in our world today? So I invite you to take a moment to reflect, maybe talk to your neighbours about anything in that sermon that stood out for you. And I will play, put up one more image that is a little challenging. <laughs> 